We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for NFL Week 18. It is January 5th. John McCackney, Mario Puig, breaking down the entire last week of the regular season slate. Some fantasy championships still to be decided. Some playoff seedings still to be decided as well. We'll get into all that and more here. Let's start the show. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie. That is Mario Puig. This podcast presented to you by our friends over at No House Advantage. Mario, it is week 18. There's a lot to be decided this week. Fantasy matchups, playoff seedings, all that good stuff and more. Uh, there's no Thursday night game this week, but we got a couple of Saturday games in addition to a pretty full slate on Sunday and, of course, no Monday night football as well. So we got a really jam-packed weekend of football ahead of us here. Uh, Let's kick things off with the first game. We got the Chiefs and the Raiders. The Chiefs obviously vying for uh, that number one seed in the AFC, which is all the more important uh, under the current playoff structure where there's only one team getting a bye. Uh, they are nine and a half point favorites against the Las Vegas Raiders. And uh, that's a game to be played in Vegas. Mario, we laughed about the prospect of Jared Stidham doing anything last week. <laughs> and frankly, we got a, I don't know if there's crow to be eaten necessarily. And I, I st- if anything, I, I stand by slash want to double down on the opinion that D- Jared Stidham is bad, but he had a good game last week. Yeah, he had a good game. I mean, it was a good job by him. I'm not trying to take away credit for you know how well he did, but um, good luck with sticking with that one. I mean, if they want to, if they want to really test their luck with Jarrett Sidham a whole lot more, um, I'll still confidently put down money on a. It's going to go bad. It's not going to go good. Uh, we we saw him playing up at Baylor and Auburn. It's not like it's a mystery as to who this guy is, unless he went you know underwent some kind of physical transformation that no other quarterback has. Otherwise, it's uh, you know just another case of guy had a pretty good uh, two and a half quarters, and uh, now time's up. Yeah, I, I'm thinking so as well. And and uh, Vegas doesn't seem to be particularly uh, buying 
uh, Stidham really making this Raiders team viable. Uh, the Raiders are nine and a half point dogs at home in, in this one. Uh, from a fantasy lens, you know, with, with stakes being on the table there for, for the Chiefs, you still feel good about, you know, the likes of Patrick Mahomes and everyone playing all four quarters and, and with that, you know, starting all those guys confidently? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's uh, it's a little tough to guess where the numbers are actually going to go in this offense, especially when they uh, don't really have a defined second pass catcher. I know it's Juju Smith-Schuster that we go with if we have to, but it's like Kadarius Tony drawing four targets on 19 snaps. It's like he, he might be a 19-snap player. He might only be a, a one out of every three snaps player but he's going to draw more targets than a player usually in that role. And it's last week it came at Juju's expense. Um, Maybe the, maybe there was a certain related reason for that too. Um, But yeah, it's other than Kelsey. It's like, I just don't know what there is to assume here. The whole offense pretty much just runs as like an extension of Mahomes. You know, it's like, he's just uh, taking these players who aren't particularly good in a lot of cases and just making their numbers good. Uh, You know, it's like the, the defense, can't defend every threat that Mahomes can pose. And so uh, there's always just like some guy hanging around in some part of the field, uh, probably not getting covered that closely and Mahomes finds him eventually. And it doesn't matter who that player is. Uh, If they're in that spot, they get the ball in that situation. So uh, yeah, it's like Jared McKinnon uh, to be fair, he's actually doing yardage with his snaps. Now he went about a year and a half doing about a yard per snap, which is just incredibly bad. And uh, even now, the yardage that he's getting is no more meaningful than the yardage that Daryl Williams got last year. But turning that into act- turning those snaps into actual yardage is, uh, you know, a new thing and, and maybe even a new element. But I think it's going to probably draw more defensive attention in the game planning eventually. Like eventually, after being, you know, a year and a half of saying, just let McKinnon go. We got to deal with these other things. If he catches it, it's not a big deal. And like, maybe they're going to actually crash down on that look and maybe there's going to be something more. I don't know, over the middle or something that's available. Uh, they don't have the personnel to go downfield except with Valdez Scantling. So, uh, yeah, it's like they can they, they can express uh, like, like they can't reach that many parts of the field with their pass catcher personnel. But it's like Mahomes kind of just bends the field to his liking anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, on an unpredictable basis, we'll get points somehow. Yeah, I, th- I think so as well. You know, we, this could be a week where we see. Uh, a real random uh, cast of characters getting into the end zone for the Chiefs. You know, like it, it could be a Noah Gray week, that that type of thing. So Jody Fortson, um, whatever. <laughs> always somebody. You name it. Uh, they, they probably have a decent chance to score if they're on the field uh, with, with Mahomes. And then uh, l- last thing I, I want to touch on this, this more of like a, a longer view for, for the Raiders. What do you see happening with, with, uh, with Carr and with Jacobs? <laughs> uh they're gone uh yeah I don't know what I don't know what they think they're doing with Devontae Adams either I mean it sure seems that even if McDaniels wanted to bench Carr uh that the, whatever thinking went into that does not seem in step with whatever thinking went into the Devontae Adams trade uh, uh slash you would think Devontae Adams would have been a little less enthusiastic to join up with them uh if he knew it was going to be this this weird little this weird little exercise where McDaniels kind of alienates and runs out everybody who's there already and replaces them with worse versions of the player before. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows how it'll go? Maybe, maybe, maybe this is, 
Maybe the only thing holding back uh, Josh McDaniels all this time was not having a Jarrett Stidham uh, at, at the helm. Maybe maybe they're going somewhere good. Uh, but Derek Carr will not be with them to, to go wherever that is. And I, I feel like Jacob's already said, like, I, I guess they could franchise tag him. They probably will. But he's he seems like he's he's just about ready to get out of there. Yeah, I think so, too. He's had an incredible year. Um, I, I don't really know what I'll do with him as far as, you know, redraft for, for next year. Like, where do you expect him, you know, I, I guess landing spot pending? Where do you think his ADP ends up? Could it be like a early second, late first type of guy? Um, that's tough for me to think through. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the ADP in the first, uh, I don't know, like 15 picks might be pretty fluid. Like other than like maybe Justin Jefferson and what, like Tyreek Hill, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Jamar Chase, what uh, Diggs, like those guys seem like they're going to go higher than they did last year uh this year and uh jacobs with numbers like those would normally be like he might is he the t- like the top over non uh, top overall non justin jefferson non tyreek hill scorer this year that seems like that sounds i, I, right. believe, so. Eckler, I believe so i'll check on that real quick Eck- eckler might be ahead of him um but other than that it's like jacobs jacobs is putting up production this year that would be justifiable for a first overall pick so right. I don't know how people are going to handle that. Like some mathematical models might be quick to like Jacobs just because, I mean, he did a, a leg- legitimately great job this year, uh, pass catching two, three down, whatever short yardage. So workhorse profile, high efficiency. You can imagine some people being willing to pay a pretty high dollar for him. Uh, I'm happy to see him have the season that he did, especially being the kind of running back that he is like, you know, it, I like to to grind the axe over, you know, running backs in the first round, running backs that are uh, workhorse, running backs who are, are valued on the market. You know, that I'm glad to see Jacobs doing well in those things because I, I normally uh, he's the kind of guy who gets a lot of, you know, flack from some of my least favorite people. But with that said, I also think he's probably a fade uh, in most cases next year because he's never produced like this before. And it seems like it's a pretty direct consequence of Devonte Adams being there and uh, the kind of defensive alignments that Devonte Adams dictates. So uh, basically there's openings that Jacobs is benefiting from this year that didn't exist before Adams got there. And uh, if, if, if they're both with the Raiders still, that's, that's better than, you know, Devonte not being on the offense, but with Jarrett Stidham at quarterback, like there is going to be, a pinch at some point and if Devonte adams starts to lose any of his utility whatever opened up for jacobs before could kind of get swallowed up again and he might turn into more like the guy that he was before this year which was still quite good he was still underrated it was always ridiculous that he was going as late in drafts as he did this year but he's he's more like uh maybe an above average starting running back like he's he's a he's some version of good and good enough but whether he's actually above average among starters uh that that i don't see as much evidence for i do think most years he's more like a 4.3 4.5 yards per carry kind of player uh rather than this year when he's just you know raking like crazy yeah i mean we're, we're talking about five yards of carry on in in some amount of volume I mean, 323 carries thus far this season he's got 12 touchdowns which matches his previous career high that he, that he got in 15 games back uh in 2020 so 
Yeah, I mean, th- this year definitely stands as a bit of an outlier relative to Injuries, too. Career. He's been playing through them, but he's he's got a long history of getting hurt. He does, and you just – you you know, th- this was more of a topic years ago when workhorses were a little bit more common, but uh, in fantasy football circles, you know, maybe like the proto-analytics type of era, um, people would always be leery of guys coming off of 300 carry seasons. Yeah, it's understandable. I mean, it's a, it's it's almost an inhumane kind of uh, physical workload to put on <laughs> somebody. Uh, Derek Henry aside, it seems like he's yeah. just kind of a he's inhuman. Actually, so he doesn't take actual hits. Like guys, just kind of slowly get in his way. Uh, whereas like other people, when they get uh, they, they get three hundred plus carries, it's like somebody bigger than them is tackling them usually, or oftentimes anyway. So, uh, yeah, I particularly when he's God, he's been like on the injury report, probably like four fifths of the time the past like three years. You know, it's it's he's played the vast majority of the time, but there's usually like one or two games where he can't go. And then there's games like this year or situation like this year where he's playing hurt for like six weeks with whatever that was. And he gets the hand and not that the hand injury was a freak thing, but it's just uh, just speaks to like how he's he's always like playing through injury, which is that once good that he's tough and able to produce while less than 100%. But it also means like when his luck gets a little worse, I don't know. I, I, I worry about when it, when it goes from nagging injuries to constantly to like nagging injuries constantly and the kind of injuries that keep him out of a game start to happen more often than they did in his first five years. Right. Exactly. So, you know, time is, time is particularly tough on, on running backs and him coming off of, this type of year, but this type of workload, yeah, I'll, I'll be probably a little bit leery um, to approach him where his ADP uh, projects to be next year. Let's zip on over to our next game Saturday night. We got the Titans and the Jags. The Jags, six point favorites in this one at home. Obviously, the AFC South is on the line here, and the Titans are rolling into it uh, in less than ideal circumstances. And the Jags, for their own part, are red hot right now right it's uh it's gonna be interesting though i mean the titans are getting a lot back they're getting a lot back a lot of guys including some guys who weren't just out last week but have been out for a while before that like um not so much christian fulton he's whatever he's he's like a good enough kind of corner he doesn't really change a whole lot but jeffrey simmons has been practicing all week i guess we'll see what he does uh today i guess it's possible that they they do one of those like maintenance day things today but if if he practices today i believe that'll be the first time he practiced an entire week uh i don't know in like a couple months or something like that amani hooker looks like he's gonna be back he had been getting really good results as their uh he's one of their safeties and one of the, he's their main slot corner when they go into to nickel or dime so that's a big upgrade there uh, that that's that's probably who's going to be on Christian Kirk, who the Jaguars kind of need to get going to to project safely for this for a win here and especially for the cover here. So uh, that Jeff Simmons, Danico Autry. I don't remember the last time that guy played. It's been like three months since he's played. He might be the most underrated, at least defensive player in the league. Like Danico Autry such a good player and uh, there's no one like him. And so he's, he's not the kind of guy that the Titans could have replaced while he was out. So getting, getting all that back, it's going to be tough on the Jaguars offense. And uh, I know 
Josh Dobbs is, is awful. It's it's I mean, you know, as a starting quarterback, as a as a backup or whatever, um, I'm sure he's fine. But uh this is not the kind of setting that when you sign Josh Dobbs as your backup, you imagine him uh, stepping up and saving the day. You're more so thinking like, oh, we're we're probably toast if that happens. Um and conventionally, yes, but there's the variable factor. Uh Trevor Lawrence is still a young player. Um, he's still a young quarterback who doesn't have truly a lot of help. He's, he's a young quarterback who's driving their success. He's not being uh, coddled toward it. Like he's not being carried like another, uh, he's not being carried like a, a Jared Goff kind of player needs to be carried. So that means uh, at once it's like, it's good that he's that level of a talent, of course, but it, I feel like it also means that uh, at his current experience and age level, there's the risk for letdown, especially against a playoff tested team, a playoff tested coach, uh, Peterson is, of course, playoff tested, but uh, not with the Jaguars. So uh, Titans are really dangerous. I, I don't know what to call the the spread. You know, it's like maybe it's one of those things that if the Titans cover, they win for some reason. Like maybe maybe there's no way to, to have it that the Jags win, but the Titans cover. I, I don't know what, what might all go into that. But um, I'm worried for the for the for the Titan uh, for the Texans <laughs> for the for the Jaguars, even though. The Titans uh, have this, you know, incredible handicap at quarterback. So what, what's interesting to me, I'm, I'm looking at the splits over on, on VSIN. Um, 63% of the money I bet on the spread this week for this game is on the Titans. I was surprised to see that. That's for the spread? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what, like, um, some of those, I guess, what is that, the money line where you pick straight up? Uh, yeah, that 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 is seventy five percent in favor of of the Jags. So the the public seems to expect this one to be close, but the Jaguars win. Interesting. Um, yeah, so I'm looking at covers, and I don't I don't know what I don't know what the exact metrics they're listing here are, but it's showing sixty three percent on the Jaguars. Uh, I assume that's, I guess I don't know whether that's for the spread or not, but uh, they're they're showing the spread got from seven to six. So even though there's more volume on the Jaguars, it appears like some greater sum of money has, uh, am I getting that backwards there? It's, it's the Jags. No, it's, so that means there's like outsized bets on the Titans, right? Because the, the Jags number would go to like minus yeah, if eight they, if, if there's like over a... heavy on that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a little concerning. I always hate it when I see those outsized bets going toward the counterintuitive pick because uh, you'd think like, well, if there's people who make so much money off of this that they can make a living, they must make a lot of counterintuitive picks for the rest of us who uh, go with the wrong intuitive pick, uh, give them their winnings more or less. And uh, this is, this is maybe a case like that. And the playoff, the playoff environment thing is huge. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, he might be up for it anyway. There are, there are every so often there's that, that category of player where they, they are not affected that much by the circumstances and, and maybe even get a little better the higher the stakes get. Yeah, I mean, he, he did, burned Alabama to the ground as a true freshman. Right. So that would that also applies at the college level. It's like you don't normally look at a, a freshman quarterback on an otherwise great team and otherwise a team that isn't playoff tested uh, and then see Trevor Lawrence beat an institution like Alabama as a true freshman. It's like, you know, that doesn't guarantee anything for the NFL. Obviously, he struggled his rookie year. Uh, but it might mean that Lawrence is more likely than just about any other, you know, 
prospect that could have been in this position to transcend or you know step up in circumstances like these rather than uh, lose something in in the the uh, circumstances because normally it's like if you're not playoff tested you kind of are just like a little bit off that day or like the other team taps into something that you just didn't realize you, you needed and you don't have it yet. And you, you maybe don't even know what it is yet. And you got to lose to figure it out. Um, but uh, Lawrence, I mean, he, because of the Dobbs factor, I, I do take the Jags. Uh, I want to pick the Titans to cover, even though I'm, again, I'm kind of worried that it's like one of those things that, uh, um, I don't know, maybe maybe like the Titans don't go for enough field goals for for it to make sense. Like maybe it needs to be Jags win and Jags cover or Titans cover and win. I don't know, but uh, I'm going to hedge uh, best as I can and, and say Jags win, but Titans cover. Okay, and then uh, last thing, uh, Travis Etienne has a big week last week, but it was against the Texans. Can we expect him to, to continue that here? Was that the start of him unlocking his potential? He, I think, is generally going to have a low, what would you call it, like standard deviation or something in this game and, and like low, uh, generally low returns. I don't know how the Titans defense is going to give them space. I mean, the, their personnel is good enough at run defense and they're sound enough at it as a scheme that they can probably take care of ETN for the most part, and especially if they can contain him anyway. They can they can make sure they don't leave any gaps open, and and they don't really need to like blitz to get at him. It's like you just got to cover your gaps with ETN, and uh, especially since the Jags offensive line doesn't push anybody around, especially because the Titans don't get pushed around. Uh, you would worry about ETN just kind of having nowhere to go, and I, I definitely worry about that. I've I've hated the way they've used him pretty much all year. Uh, either they weren't using him enough early in the year, or they're using him too much lately, and specifically sending him into the teeth of the defense too many times. Like you, if you're Doug Peterson. Uh, I love you, Doug, but you can't send ETN straight at Jeff Simmons 15 times. That's insane. It, it, like, if you were trying to kill him, that's what you would do. You would say, like, we're halfback dive right at uh, whatever Jeff Simmons' number is. Like, and I'm, they've done stuff like that over and over in a lot of these games. Like, you got to get him off tackle. You got to use him more like Aaron Jones, Alvin Kamara, uh, whatever. Like, somebody like that. You're not, you're not making a 20 carry grinder out of ETN. You're just going to get him hurt. So. Uh, I, I wish they would do something differently here. Uh, I barely want to even see them giving ETN the ball. Like if, if there's, if there's running to, I don't think they should be running in this game. They should just be throwing ETN should run it like 12 times. Pretty much everything else should be passes and uh, you know, use a bunch of screens to ETN, something like that, that you haven't maybe put on tape. If you got to get them touches, get them touches on manufactured novel play designs. Don't expect them to, to break tackles between the tackles. Um, but uh, I will say, in the unlikely event that the Titans do fail a gap assignment, then yes, ETN can break through that. It's, it's like, you know, the, a little bit of that thing with Jonathan Taylor types where it's like, yeah, he can go 20 carries with 70 yards, but if the defense makes a mistake, he takes it every time. So mm -hmm. uh, there is a high cost to having a, even a little bad luck against him if you're the Titans. Yeah. So that that's important to factor in. Uh, I I have one league in which I'm I'm still alive. I think I'll start ETN even still, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not expecting the, the same kind of week that, that he had a week ago. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna need the big player. He's gonna need short touchdowns because he, you know, the fifteen if he gets fifteen carries, it's probably gonna be something like forty yards. You know, he needs a one carry of forty plus yards to get to eighty. And then uh, I guess last element on on this game also. Derrick Henry off the injury report. 
you know, how, how big is that in, in helping this Titans offense, you know, especially when they have Dobbs as their quarterback? Right. It's big. And I, I mean, I guess they, they could have done this with Willis too, and they didn't, but Dobbs is enough of an athlete that you can run some legitimate uh, carry reps with him. Like they can run a kind of like a wishbony kind of thing. And if, the Jags aren't ready for it. And this is, this is absolutely something I can imagine Vrabel doing specifically, like doing a one week Georgia, old Georgia tech offense, you know, Mm -hmm. um, where it's like, you know, no one expected it. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of like how he opens games like that. A couple of times there's like a fake punt or something like that. Like Vrabel kind of just does tricks in settings like these. So I think we should at the very least expect a couple trick plays and maybe even kind of like a trick offense where it's, uh, you know, Dobbs throws it like 10 times, and uh, runs at 15, and Henry runs at 25, and they, you know, they, they have uh, three or four drives with 12 plus plays, something like that. And uh, they want to reduce it. They want to reduce the game to uh, like a, a a painful, tiring uh, affair for the Jaguars, where they shorten the game, uh, get you know, beat up the Jaguars, make them make them more likely to make a mistake, and then you know, sit on the ball. So that, that one mistake is enough to get the win. And uh, I think they can do it. I mean, I, I trust Trevor Lawrence, but he's, he's still play even through all this, he has been playing 10 on 11. Marvin Jones is a complete zero. Zay Jones is over, uh, overexposed as a wide receiver too. Christian Kirk. Uh, I mean, some of it was dropped passes. Some of it is rolled coverages his way, but there's, there's points where you can imagine the Jaguars offense just kind of failing to get anybody open and then they don't have the power element. They don't have the power advantage on the ground. So uh, if, if, if Lawrence isn't good, like if he doesn't carry the Jaguars, they are in a lot of trouble. Like they, they can't save themselves if he has a slightly bad game. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I sat down for, for this podcast expecting to, to come out of it feeling like oh, yeah, the, the Jags are going to take care of business, but even with how rough the last what six weeks has have been for Tennessee, the Vrabel factor and a healthy Derrick Henry, they have a puncher's chance, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm I'm still taking the Jags, but it's like it's one of those games I don't want to have to you know pick and be on the hook for. Yeah, for for our guy Nick Whalen, uh, hoping hoping that the teal curtain rises up. Is is that how we don't want it to stay down and block the other team? Uh, I don't really. I'm not really sure where I was going with that metaphor. I just always thought the teal curtain was funny. Oh, it's it is. Yeah, it's uh, especially now when their defense sucks. You have yeah. To the teal <laughs> oh boy, um, but yes, Nick, we're 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 rooting for you on uh, on Saturday night. Uh, before we get on to the Sunday slate, got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, on to Sunday. Uh, Let's kick things off. Bucks, Falcons, Bucks able to clinch the NFC South last week. Uh, not really much of an accomplishment uh, as we've come to find, uh, especially this year. But but they're good again, John. But he he, I was uh, just when I called touchdown Tim over, he had to go uh, get get those like orphan entrails and burn them on the pentagram on the floor and. What do you know? He's back. He he just he couldn't do it a full eighteen game season. He was just waiting for the playoffs this year. Maybe that subscription is a cheaper plan. Mm-hmm. I don't know his reasons. Um, but that's uh, that was discouraging for me. That was the most annoying thing, almost of that uh, that uh, slate was like, why is touchdown Tom back again? He's he was playing dead for 17, 16 weeks, and now he just all of a sudden is like, actually. Uh, I think I'm gunning it out again. 200 yards. Mike Evans is back. Like after after four months of watching Mike Evans get open deep and have an underthrown ball uh, fall to the dirt uh, nowhere near him, uh, or just at his feet, like all of a sudden 200 yards. Mike Evans is back, and it's, uh, it sucks, John. I I really hope that was just a one week thing because if if touchdown Tom is throwing 40 yarders again, then yeah, they're probably just gonna win the Super Bowl, uh, whatever his, for his ninth or whatever that would be. Oh, I'm, I'm terrified at that prospect. The NFC, the NFC, you know, I, I really like the, these Eagles and 49ers teams, but um, I don't know if they can overcome the evil that would be um, <laughs> Tom Brady tapping back in. Oh. Yeah. Uh, you can't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's hubris to think that evil could ever be defeated or even delayed, you know, maybe we should just uh, embrace this the most that we can. Yeah. It, it, you know, like uh, Kent Brockman, we, we embrace our new ant overlords. 
Oh, can't eat ants though. There's too much acid in those. You gotta, or I guess we're getting eaten by the ants. Never. Mind. Uh, Tom, Br- I don't know. Maybe he's, maybe he's a, maybe he's, maybe he's slipped on the no tomato rule during the season. Maybe that was it. He was like going through divorce. He's like, oh, I'll have a little tomato for an indulgent treat, and then his game just went to hell. He he had some lasagna in like September, and yeah, <laughs> ruined his whole season. Um. And then on the Falcon side of things, um, you know what? What have you seen from this from this offense uh, since Ritter took over? And, and you know what? What kind of applications do we see for for this week? And maybe a little bit sneak peek into into next year. I don't know, man. I mean, it was it, it was weird how all year they didn't use Corderell Patterson as a pass catcher the way they did last year until last week. And I don't know what changed. I, I it's like even when Kyle Pitts got hurt, that didn't get added to the offense again. It wasn't like they deleted Corderell's routes to make room for Pitts because Pitts got hurt, and still they were doing this thing where Corderell gets like 10 carries in one catch a game, whereas last year he was pretty much raking as a pass catcher, uh, including with strong peripheral, you know, stable peripherals that indicated like that, that should be another thing that, that should work in 2022 also, and then they just didn't do it. And then they do it last week, and uh, – I guess Drake London's production dried up. That was one difference from the prior three, four games. But uh, at this point, I can't tell what Arthur Smith is trying to do. And I, I don't know if he knows either. Uh, it's kind of weird. Um, so, yeah, they, they're they going to put something on the field in this game, obviously. But I don't know how much I don't know how much there is to, to draw from it to figure out what might happen next year. Uh, with Ritter or anything else, any other structural detail of the offense, it's just uh, uh, it's hard for me to tell. But I, I think Ritter, uh, he was encouraging last week for the most part. It was just like uh, he, he's not particularly young as a prospect. Like him and Malik Willis, part of why they're they're kind of problematic as projects is they are not 21 years old. They're like 23 something. So when you're that old, that age, and you're still too skinny like Ritter is, it's just and and you have you know rough games like he did the the couple weeks before. It's like it's not as easy to 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 just uh, you know push aside as it would have been if he were like an underclassman prospect because you would expect an underclassman prospect to be raw and be improving. But with Ritter, you wouldn't conventionally project improvement for for a player at his point in development. So uh, I. I have no idea what their options might be in the draft. I have no idea what their goals might be in the draft. I don't know what Arthur Smith again thinks he's doing with that offense. So I don't, I don't know what he I don't know what he wants to build, and I don't know whether Ritter would be you know feasible for whatever that would be. Uh, so I don't know. I, I could see them drafting a quarterback high. I could see them going into next year and running another just like zero ambition offense like they did this year. But uh, that seems like a dreary prospect, and and one at the very least where it's like you got to move Kyle Pitts. Then like I I know they were before it was like they were doing the most with their circumstances or whatever. But it's like you got to do better either way. So uh, yeah, they should trade after trading Ridley to the Jaguars. They should just trade Pitts to the Jaguars too. Like the Jaguars should trade their first rounder for Kyle Pitts this off season, and everybody can be happy or something. That that'd be nifty. I'd like that. that would be uh that would be actually completely unstoppable. So I, I really do hope if if uh, based Trent is listening, uh, buddy, 
just love you. Uh, I've always loved you. Please try to get that Kyle Pitts trade done if you could. Yeah, but you know, when when you get a minute, uh, go ahead and and make that happen. Um, I I wonder if you know, for better or for worse, the Falcons would be interested in in a Will Levis type at quarterback because I feel like he right he, fit, he fits the Arthur Smith thing a little bit. I guess he could. Um, I mean, but before this year, he had run for over 200 yards in each of his collegiate seasons. Like, he's a mobile oh, sure. guy, and he's big, physical. I mean, 6'3", 230, like, with a good arm. It could work. Yeah, it could. And, I mean, more importantly, they could decide to – that's the only thing. Is like, what are they thinking they're going to do? Uh, I I have various opinions about what they could, should do. But the, Terry Fontenot, what is this, year three? No, year two? I can't remember. Year two. three. Two, three. Yeah. So, sorry, going into three. Yeah, this one being his second. So uh, most of these GM guys, you know, they they probably – these, these recent hires, they, they probably uh, – they're all looking out for themselves in similar ways. So they, and they all probably subscribe to some kind of uh, conventional wisdom about like, you got to get a quarterback by year three, you got to draft. If you're, if you're rebuilding year three, you got to draft a quarterback high in year three, something like, you know, just, just truisms about like what a GM must do. And maybe some of it's supported by data, you know, like GMs who draft a quarterback in the top 10 and their third going into their third season mm-hmm. off a losing record get re-signed, get extended on their contract at a 40% rate compared to 15% if they, whatever, whatever. And so uh, they might be look, like Fontenot might, if nothing else, cynically be looking at this as like, I got to draft a quarterback high so I can get people off my ass for another 18 months. Because when yeah. you draft a rookie quarterback, expectations lower and people get more patient. And Whereas like if you go into it with another Mariota type scenario, people will be in week four, like fire Smith, fire Fontenot. And, you know, with, with some amount of uh, justification in that. So uh, they, if Fontenot feels any heat at all, it wouldn't be surprising if he goes to draft uh, Levis, somebody, I guess it would either be him or Richardson, I guess, but uh, somebody, like you said, who could, I mean, I, the other thing is, I don't know if Smith is fully committed to this, this like running quarterback thing. Like he might be open to having like a pure pocket passer and just not have the quarterback run as much, just throw more as an offense. So Maybe even Bryce Young. I don't know. I Stroud, et cetera. I don't even know. I have no idea. But um, if Fontenot feels any heat, he might want to take a quarterback just so people say, got to give him a little more time. He's right. No, that, yeah, that that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And that, that certainly could, could be in play. Um, they need so much edge help. I don't know if it's really available or it's going to be. Like, I don't think this class is particularly great there. And I think Will Anderson's probably gone by the time that they're on the clock. Um, Will Anderson should go first. I don't – or him or that Jalen Carter, was it? It's like, my guy, with, yeah. With quarterbacks like these, I mean, I better not see a quarterback go in the top two. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to happen. It shouldn't. Um, but but here we are. Um, I remember being told after – after the picket draft last year, that ne- next year's class is going to be an all timer. No, no. I can't believe someone said that. That was like a dumb thing to say back then. Like, who, it, you mean Levis? Is that right. One? The guy who threw forty six percent of his yardage from Wandale Robinson. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. And this year, obviously, you have not, to say it not, every year. You have to say it every year, no matter how do. bad the next class is. Like next year's class is pretty, mm-hmm. pretty interesting. <laughs> so that's just. The way the cookie crumbles. But seriously, um, the next class is good after this one. 
Yeah, we got we got Caleb. We got um, yeah, just Caleb. That's like the best. Uh, Caleb and Trevor alone are like the two best quarterback classes in the past like six years or something. I have something in common with Caleb Williams. We both went to the same high You're school. From, oh, okay. I didn't know it was the same school. Yeah, proud of, proud of him. Proud of my Gonzaga Eagle for, for getting it done. <laughs> um, but uh, before we move on to the next game, uh, we got a message from our friends over at No House Advantage. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Playing picking contests versus other people for the shot at winning big cash prizes. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars every week. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20x your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player prop over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code NHAWIRE. That's N-H-A-W-I-R-E at NoHouseAdvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience your daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. And again, that, that promo code, you can see it on the bottom of the screen if you're watching us on the live stream, but that's N-H-A-W-I-R-E, N-H-A-Y-R. All right, onward. We've got, um, we've got the Bills going up against the Patriots uh, bills playing at, at home in this one, seven point favorites. Well, what can you even say about this one? Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, there's this need to play out the season at all, but uh, particularly it's got to be rough for the bills, obviously with what's going on with Hamlin, what happened in last week's game. But uh um, because the game has to be played and because um, they've kind of got nowhere else to put their, you know, emotions, it's, uh, I would imagine just going to be the Bills as, you know, we've come to expect them. They're, they're probably going to make pretty quick work of this week overall Patriots team. I know they, they got some good defensive players, uh, alleged, maybe some good ones on offense, but uh, not enough to move the ball against this kind of defense. And uh, unlike last year, like the, they can't even really hide Mac Jones, you know, it's like, he's uh, not that I'm even meaning to blame Mac. Jo- I have such a complicated relationship with Mac Jones. I, I, <laughs> I basically can't stand him, but yeah. I think he's a pretty not good quarterback, but some of, some of the things that have gone wrong with that team this year are not his fault. But then when you see him doing the Grayson and Allen stuff, it's like, yeah, well, that's okay if we if he gets yeah, a little yeah. unfair criticism. I guess that's not that bad of, of a thing. Um, but he, I, in any case, I don't think he's particularly responsible for the the failures of the Patriots' offense. I'm I'm just going to assume that Matt Patricia might have done a bad job, um, and and Joe Judge might have done a bad job because they've done that mostly in the past. But uh, they can't do the the Buffalo uh, game from last year where they didn't throw the ball and win. It's like that's that, that kind of scenario is off the table. It's like you're turning the ball over somehow, whether you want to or not. Obviously, you won't want to, but it's like no matter what they do, this offense can't go into a shell like the, the previous ones did. So if they can't go into a shell, uh, they're leaving their neck out in an environment where they can't defend themselves. So, uh, yeah, I think the Bills – 
maybe maybe some initial you know tough hard hitting kind of grinded out football but eventually they'll just kind of blow them away and you know the, the Patriots they need some help but they theoretically could still make the playoffs as the last seed so they'll I mean, show up yeah. yeah but yeah I don't think it'll be enough either at <laughs> excuse me um I, I expect the the oof, um I expect the the Bills to to go ahead and, and take care of business in this one as well. Um, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, we got Vikings Bears. Um, this one in Chicago, Vikings seven point favorites. Um, no Justin Fields for this one, so that the the Bears have fully embraced the tank. They're not even uh, like trying to hide it anymore. Which fair. Yeah, uh, weird timing on that Claypool trade. Then I don't like Ryan Poles. I think he's a, I think he's a huckster. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think uh, we got to worry about them trying to like trade Fields in the offseason too. Because you know I was just talking about uh, Fontenot, the GMs all reading up on literature about like GMs who do this and this scenario get extended. This person, you know, GM analytics. God, that's probably a real thing. There's probably some actual jerk who's like some kind of useless consultant normally works for Satan, but right now they're making uh, analytics for GM candidates. So they, they know uh, which, which players to cut, when to cut, when to, when to cut costs and when to take on costs, when to take on uh, liabilities, um, whatever. And no one reads more of that stuff than polls. You know, he's, he's deep into the, the cynicism angle for it, but uh, yeah, it's like, they, they should be, building around fields or whatever. And, and um, not that this has anything to do with this game, but I think you're going to see uh, more reports than you would think this off season about rumors about the bears, maybe moving fields and uh, they, they probably won't move them, but they might, especially because the way, the way polls is looking at it is, well, if I trade fields, yeah, everyone will get mad at me. But if I get a rookie quarterback on a rookie contract, a new rookie contract on a rookie quarterback, like the best thing you can do is get get the most important position at the lowest level of pay possible. That's the key to success. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're good or anybody else on your team is good. Just get that rookie quarterback contract um, and, and get it get it the full five years refreshed with a, a Will Levis type or something. Like that would be that would be amazing. And he would get a leash. They'd be like, well, yeah, of course the rookie's bad. We knew it was a rebuilding. You got, you know, colonists in, in the Chicago area who want to stay friendly with polls writing, uh, you know, very solemn, solemnly writing these these articles about how, like, we knew this was a rebuild. We needed someone serious to yeah, come in. You can see the vision. We needed, a, we needed a John Taffer type to come in, come in and uh, tell us where our costs were inefficient and, and look us – in the eye and tell us why we were bad and what we were wrong about. And, and we knew it would be a hard rebuild. Like that's, that's if polls is, is nice and sends text messages and like happy birthday stuff to the columnist, which uh, you know, like stuff like Chris Ballard does to get the, the media so chummy with him. Uh, and you would, you would see them say like, yeah, this was a good idea actually. So, um, yeah. I hope this is all me being paranoid, but I, I, that guy, that guy is a McKinsey slug. I can see it. Um, and it's, it's going to destroy the bears. Um, but for this game, they're going to just get destroyed for the reasons you said they're bad and they're tanking too. Yeah. The, yeah. The, so the, the Vikings, you know, well, is this Peterman, well, is that who it's going to be? Yeah, I believe so. Just whenever you, whenever you're tanking, it's just like call He's like a, he's, he's just like a fixer for, uh, giving you a high draft pick, you know? 
Yeah, the, good gig. He's he's the merchant of death, but like for uh, he's that guy from The Wire who they hired just to destroy the uh, the detail. You know, mm-hmm. I don't remember his name. That guy. Uh, no, I, I remember you talking about. Um, but yeah, I mean that 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 basically is uh, one Nathan Peterman. So we can uh, you know we can unpack how fraudulent the Vikings are a little bit more once we get their their playoff uh, mm-hmm. matchup set. Um, but the Eagles, obviously, they, they can't afford to to lose their game on Sunday, um, you know, just because suddenly uh, the Vikings could be could be in pretty decent position there. Um, let's see. Let's move on over to uh, Ravens Bengals. Uh, this one scheduled to be played at, at one o'clock on Sunday. That was up in the air a little bit. Um, some form of, of divisional crown is kind of in the works here, but you know, a lot of it depends on what, ha- what ends up happening with the final results for that uh, Bill's Bengals game on, on Monday. But I think either way you slice it, the Ravens are bad. They suck. At least, the, at least mm-hmm. if there's no Lamar Jackson, there's really no hope. And even with Lamar, I mean, I, I really do think it's like Greg Roman has just been cornered, you know, it's like his whole bit has been figured out and he just has nothing as far as an adjustment. He just he keeps going further in the wrong direction, if anything. And uh, it's all predictable and it's irritating. And uh, I'm sick of knowing that this guy is the offensive coordinator of the Ravens, or at least I wish no offense, John, that Lamar Jackson were on another team. Hey, if he hey. if, if Roman were. The offensive coordinator. Uh, apparently, the guy is the Pope or something. They can't get. He just cannot get removed from that job. There's no. There's. There's. There's no way to to overrule Greg Roman's influence uh, for some reason. And as long as that's the case, he's uh, he's unstoppable, man. He's he cannot be stopped. He will ruin anything he touches. And uh, the Ravens, incidentally, also have bad personnel on offense. So uh, you know, running back aside. Yeah. Yeah. Dobbins has been great. Um, tight end side. Yeah, tight end. Andrews looked really good last week, which which was nice. But yeah, that, there's nothing else there. It's a barren wasteland on offense, and the defense isn't as good as you know the the sum of its parts. I I, I don't think That's, the defensive line's particularly good. But I mean, come on. I don't I mean, like that, McDonald either. I feel like he. I feel like he's changed something. I don't even look close enough to know what he's changed, but I feel like he's changed something. Like I feel like they use more disguises or something I, I feel like they were a more confusing defense to play against and this year it's more like they're just kind of uh they're, they're playing some theory out and the theory isn't holding up I mean the results just it's there's so many atypical details from previous Ravens defenses like I know they've been on a downward slope for a few years but that was because the personnel fell off now you had like some personnel reinforcements and it still fell off more or at least against the pass it kind of did so I don't know I'm sick. I I want, I know John Harbaugh was the right guy for the job. I know he, he got them the Super Bowl, but uh, even the right guy for the job sometimes uh, outlasts his usefulness. Yeah. You know, there, there was the Renaissance after the 2017 season where they drafted Lamar Jackson and everything like that. Right, It almost was done already back then. Yeah, it was that was about as apathetic as I've seen like the Ravens fan base and like as directionless of a, of a team as, as I've seen under that franchise. Um, obviously following couple of years were fun. Great. You know, one of them particularly promising. Um, but now they, they seem like they're in the same spot that they were five years ago. Um, yeah. 
I don't know what the answer is, but I, I do. The answer as it comes to this game, the Bengals are going to smoke them. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm actually going to be on a flight to Los Angeles during this game. So I'm not even going to have to watch it. Hollywood John, too oh. good for his Ravens. He's back. He's back and he's worse than ever. But uh, yeah, going to the national championship game on Monday. So. Getting myself out to the West Coast. That's awesome. Uh, that's a way better uh, thing to do than watch that game. I think so too. The, and the Ravens game. Yeah. As someone who who likes the Ravens, it's like at least I get to forget about that and root for my alma mater. Uh, actually, yeah. doing something cool. Um, let's get on over. Uh, mm, 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 mm. Uh, Texans Colts Colts two and a half point uh, mm, that's favorites. Okay. I think I'll pass. <laughs> No, I, I, yeah, uh, whatever. Somebody has to win, I guess. Uh, is that what is Zach Moss is going to run like for eighty yards on twenty carries? Uh, the Texans yeah. will. The Texans will. Mm, I don't know what. Maybe nothing. Maybe they'll get up to like a hundred yards or so on offense, and uh, the, the Colts should win in some kind of just like really depressing kind of way. Yeah, th- this will be one of the like the more for- forgotten games. Uh, in, in recent NFL history, like no, no one's going to be. Oh, you know what? This is the uh, only for, reason to bring up this game is to. Uh, oh no, John's. Hey, there, John. Yes, I'm here. Okay, sorry. We we uh, we had some fluctuation in the feed there. I didn't know if uh, the 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 internet monster in your apartment had uh, shut it down again. Uh, but uh, th- it's really funny watching this these uh, legacy NFL media people trying to. Uh, they're like competing to be the most offended by Kayvon Thibodeau saying he doesn't know oh. <laughs> like Trey Wingo is like Kayvon he's a all pro he, he was he's like reading off of his Wikipedia thing and the tab also on the right. spell Kayvon wrong in that tweet yeah he called him Kayvon uh yeah K Kayvon uh Kevin Biggio um with a K uh, but yeah, I think uh, that stuff is always really funny to watch because it's there's just there's just nothing more precious than uh, you know like legacy careerist media people competing to be the most offended to preserve their access, you know, like when they when they're they're doing this ridiculous theater, doing doing Kent Brockman stuff, you know, it's just it's it's amazing how perfect of a of a journalist Kent Brockman is. Uh, it just they just nail everything. About the, about that uh the journalist brain and and yeah watching watching these people pretending like they they watched uh you know like they're they're acting, they're acting like it's the worst thing they've ever seen Kayvon Thibodeau just shrugging at a stupid meaningless uh, press reporter's question after a game like who cares doesn't matter the, the de- like I, I thought the whole thing was so like ridiculously overblown like Thibodeau gets a sack it's a big play like you're amped up yeah. and like. You, oh, right. Saturday started it. He was like, he was like, that was trash. Was like, you're coaching the Colts. Yeah, man. And like, it, you shouldn't even like be in an NFL you know, uh, job position to, to begin with, yeah. really. And so, yeah, just ridiculous. Just like, Peyton I, man, I caddy for Nick Foles, but like, it, I don't think that Thibodeau was being malicious. I think he was doing a fun snow angel dance. Yeah, Jeff Saturday is just like uh, Peyton Manning's turtle. From Entourage, basically. Yeah. What? Are, what are we? Why are we listening to whatever this guy thinks? Just shut up, Jeff. Shut up, Trey Wingo. <laughs> yes, please. 
Um, all right, so that 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 I think covers uh, that game. Uh, we got Dolphins Jets, which is a little bit funky. So we've got um, the the Jets favored by anywhere between half point and one and a half points, depending on which book you're looking at. The Dolphins, obviously, as you can imagine, uh, going to be pretty shorthanded at, at quarterback for this one. Now, Bridgewater's dinged up, and and Tua obviously uh, dealing with his own thing. So. You know what? What? Uh, yeah, he's unlikely to play. Um, and that that nothing has come out one way or the other on him since Monday. So get and you know you look at the line. The expectation here is that you know the Dolphins are going to be rolling out you know third string quarterback again. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm hoping all the best for Skylar Thompson. But as far as quarterback threes go, he's not very good. Uh, and we're all, of course, talking already about a lowered expectation to start with. So whatever we think is like the worst that can happen at quarterback probably can happen here. Like Skylar Thompson, if, if he had gone undrafted and didn't get so much as a training camp workout, it wouldn't have surprised anyone. It, it was, no. if anything, a little surprising that he got drafted at all. So it's almost it's just like unfair to expect them to do well. It's you just get like you just kind of cross your fingers for the guy and hope it's not too bad because it's just not that much he can do about the situation. And uh, yeah, I, I hate how the season turned out for the Dolphins and, and Mike McDaniel. I thought uh, it, it obviously the the, the two head injuries thing is is nauseating enough, but it's like. Man, they, if they had just done a few things differently, if they had been able to run the ball a little bit more, a little bit better, they, they might not have had it go this particular way that they did. But, uh, yeah, hopefully Tua doesn't have any long-term crap from this. It, it seems like there's some kind of chance that he that he did, or, you know, that he, that he might have uh, kind of like a long-term concern at this point. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do long-term. At this game, I think they're going to lose, though. And, you know, there, there's a playoff spot on the line, which makes it, you know, all all the worse for them because, you know, to, to be that hamstrung and still and like still like, you know, have a chance. And the, the Jets are, you know, not going to come in there taking it easy. Like, I think they, they absolutely want to be the ones that, that end the season for the Dolphins. Yeah. And the Dolphins offensive line is probably not that there's any. Not that any team is like, oh, we'll we'd love to see Quinn and Williams, but the Dolphins really don't want to see Quinn and Williams. I feel like against that kind of personnel, he could really kind of just know, take over quarters at a time. Yeah, because the the strength of the the Dolphins' offensive line, if you can even call it that, is the tackles. So yeah. interior arm set on one foot is the the anchor of their unit. With yeah, with like a one pectoral. Yeah, functioning. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I hope uh, – yeah, I, I just hope Skylar Thompson doesn't get any, you know, crap for whatever happens. Yeah, I, I hope so either. Or I hope so as well. Um, always liked him at K-State. Um, what did you make of the Jets' performance last week out in Seattle, though? Uh, I didn't expect it to go quite that badly for them, but I, I thought it was a spot where the Seahawks were probably going to – show a little stronger than people were expecting. Uh, just, I thought, I thought their losses and Geno Smith's struggles were uh, kind of a combination of bad luck and a tough schedule that you would have predicted some bad luck could maybe happen. And not that the Jets, de- the Jets defense, uh, of course, is, is quite strong. It wasn't like I was writing them off. It was more like 
the Jets defense, you know, traveling that far maybe couldn't have helped. And also the Seahawks, I think we're kind of just due for a, a little bit better luck than they had had, especially Gino's people were talking about like Gino being a fraud before last week and saying like, Oh, now back to being crap Gino again. Oh brother. And it's like his, his numbers on the year were sterling. Even after those bad games, his numbers were sterling on the year, like three to one touchdown to interception ratio, uh, Completion percentage well over 70, uh, 7.6, 7.7 yards per attempt. That's almost all pro-level production, and people were ready to write him off, uh, which is ridiculous. So as it turned, I think it was just as simple as, like, Jets had to travel a long ways and face a, a good quarterback, uh, and their quarterback was not good enough to, you know, play up in the circumstances. Like, Mike White is better than Zach Wilson, but still really limited, and when he doesn't have sort of easy – not, not necessarily like easy plays, but there's 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 just not that many plays that suit Mike White, and if mm-hmm. those if those looks don't happen, he can be about as bad as anybody. Right, right. So uh, I and mean, they can't run. So yeah, that's problem. Um, you know, definitely they wish can't run that... in this one either. I guess if if they if they blow this game to the Dolphins, uh, not being able to run the ball against the Dolphins will probably have something to do with it. No, absolutely. Um, and then it. I guess we can we can talk more about Seattle. Yeah, I'll table that for for now as far as what Seattle might might look like uh, for next year. Uh, before we get on over to um, our next game, which will be uh, Panthers Saints, got a message from our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. Football is officially back on Monkey Knife Fight with all the NFL action you're looking for. And if college football is more your speed, they've got plenty of that too. Check out Monday's show. I'm going to be broadcasting from Los Angeles. Uh, so that'll be fun. Breaking down the game. Uh, take the over on uh, on Stetson Bennett, maybe. Um, on Monkey Knife Fight, there's no sharks, no sour caps, and no math. It's just easy to play, easy to win, daily fantasy player props. Join now at monkeyknifefight.com, and you'll get your first game free. Then use promo code RWNFL to get your first deposit match instantly up to $100. So what are you waiting for? Join Monkey Knife Fight today. All right, Panthers, Saints. Saints, one of the more kind of surprising results of last week going into, into Philly. I mean, I felt like, you know, I, I've, I almost felt cockier about like the Gardner Minshew thing working for another week after, after oh, the yeah. Dallas game. It did not. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure what there is to take away from that game other than uh, Eagles kind of, had had gone most of the year without bad luck showing up all that much. And, and the saints just had a couple problematic matchups for them, I guess. And uh, I mean, Rashid Shahid being as good as he is, is really interesting. And I wish I had known more about the guy as a prospect. He was not on my prospect radar at all. Uh, first time I heard of him was when he had that long touchdown, when they called him up whenever that was week four or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but every bit of information we've gotten on this guy since then and before then, very limited even now, especially his college profile. It's, it's hard to lean meaning from it because he was an overage prospect at a very low level. Um, and he didn't put up like, you know, outrageous numbers or anything, but he, he had something like seven kick returns for a touchdown. I think he had like one or two punt returns for a touchdown. And he was some, he was vaguely productive. Like he, he was not unproductive at this, uh, what Weber state or some, some kind of crap like that. Um, right, Weber so, state. Yeah, Weber, Weber. Sorry, guys. Um, so uh, he, he was a very inconclusive profile, especially because he was hurt in the pre-draft testing and he didn't do any running. 
So we di- we didn't know that he's as fast as he is, and he probably is like a high four three, low four four guy at worst. And uh, his stats with the Saints so far have been so consistently good. Like the peripheral stats with Shahid are great. That um, even though he's like a 24 year old rookie who went undrafted and didn't really do anything that noteworthy at a low level of competition and has no workout data available, we have reason to believe he's one of the more interesting kind of um, certainly fringe prospects and maybe even prospects generally. It's time to start taking him seriously because uh, he's he's shown an underneath game in recent weeks after only showing a downfield game initially. Uh, so what he's doing is he's he's showing the ability to produce on both the high difficulty downfield targets and the easier underneath targets. And he shows a lot of yards after the catch ability, if only for his seven kick returns. Um, so if he can draw targets downfield and capitalize, and if he can draw targets underneath and create yardage after the catch, there's just not really anything holding him back and, you know, getting the better. Th- th- that was a tough matchup for Bradbury on that one big play, like Bradbury being six one two twenty or whatever. He doesn't want to see a 5'11", 170 fast guy. He wants to see someone more built like him. So that was a really tough matchup for Bradbury. But if Shahid can can make a play like that, then he can make plays against a lot of boundary corners. You know, he's not just like some slot guy. He's not just some gadget guy. He's not just underneath. He's not just a downfield play action guy. He's threatening at all levels, and he provides consistently big yardage after the catch. So I don't know. Him and Olave are just so much more dangerous as a tandem than I expected them to be. Uh, obviously, big Olave fan the whole time, but uh, I, I figured Shahid would just be at best kind of like a, a, a good gadget guy or something, but it's like those two... As a, as a tandem are like legitimately dangerous right now. And I, I just, uh, it's, cr- it's crazy. And uh, the Eagles, you know, found out the hard way, at least on that one big play from Shahid. Is, uh, is Shahid the second coming of former beer truck driver, Michael Lewis? Well, Michael Lewis, uh, it's easy to forget. Deontay Hardy was Michael Lewis and Deontay Hardy has been out all year and he probably would have been a pretty good player for them in like a 20 snap role. But uh, Shahid's almost like, because he's he's um he's not even doing that much as a kicker or a punt return. It's like he's just doing really well as a receiver. So I I, I don't know who he would compare to, but uh, you know some some undrafted long shot guy who showed up and just started kind of kicking ass. I don't I don't know who. Uh, Victor Cruz. Yeah, that's that's uh, at once like. Victor was so productive. It's like Shahid's got a long way to go to get there, but he might still be like the closest thing in the meantime. Victor Cruz was such a boss there for a while. Oh, yeah, he was awesome. Big fan. Big fan. Uh, UMass, right? Uh, Yes. Yeah. Him him and like Miles Austin were probably the best, uh, you know, past like 10 years or whatever undrafted guys who who were just awesome like that. And Shahid's not, I don't think he's going to be like a 1500 yard guy, but he, I mean, damn, he's he's doing really well with everything they've given him so far. So it's kind of hard to see why he should stop at any particular point. Yeah, and he, he, for him to have done this on a team with no real identity at quarterback, right. imagine if they get a real one. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I don't know if there's anything for Michael Thomas to do next year, or I don't know what they're going to do otherwise at receiver. But if they get a real quarterback. I know that it's going to be hard since they traded away all their picks to get Olave, but if they get a decent quarterback, like their offense could be pretty good. So uh, I guess it can't be Sean Payton, but it, somebody might be 
more interested in this job than we would have thought at the time of the uh, the Olave trade. And even, love Olave, but obviously that was, that was bad even on uh, first glance. Yeah, yeah, that was a bit much to be to be given up, uh, but you know should be a stable part of that offense going forward. And then as far as the the Panthers uh, side of this one goes, um, how did they, how did how do they finish this year off? I don't know, man. This so. They're so confusing. It, it it was um it's too bad that they lost, you know. I mean they yeah. they uh aired it out and initially were getting really good results from Darnold against a tough defense. And if he, if he hadn't fumbled three times, we'd be looking at this and say, like, whoa, Darnold's back or you know, Darnold is here rather <laughs> for the first time and, and they they got all these things going right. But now it's like you can't tell if that was um if that was like a real three forty one and three kind of game from Darnold, you know, it's, it's the numbers become more empty and meaningless with the particular result that they had. But I really think they should keep trying to open up the offense a little bit, not 37 attempts, but you know, something between 37 and 22 uh, let's say, and uh, getting that's just enough to get DJ Moore and Terrace Marshall, I think fed to their uh, according abilities without overexposing the offense. And you'd still have a bunch left over for those running backs to get carries or whatever. So uh, I think this Panthers offense could be surprisingly decent. It's just, um, I don't know, the, the Saints have been improving on defense for quietly for like six, eight weeks or something. And mm-hmm. I, it's one thing for Darnold and the Panthers to go against some generic defense, but to go against a, an actually good one, it's, it's a little harder to see it working. But uh, for whatever it's worth, it uh, looks like the spread opened at five and New Orleans minus five. And now it's down to three and a half. So um, maybe there's maybe there's some good case to make for the Panthers, even though I didn't just make it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, yeah, you, you look at the line movement and it's still over that key number of three. And with, with so much of the money coming in on uh, New Orleans, it looks like, uh, according to Vsin. I feel like I, I like the Panthers to to cover three and a half and three and a half. I mean, just asking more than a field goal from from the Saints, even after last week, I, I think is still a bit much, even at home, too. Yeah, I like the Panthers to cover at the very least, uh, because the Saints, by design, barely even run a game at all. Like they go they go through so many games. Let me pull up Andy Dalton's snap counts here. He. Like, listen to the, the number of plays in a game that they peeled off from week nine onward. This is insane. I've, I've never seen anything like this. Like, 45, 41, 39, 40. I know Taysom Hill is getting some of these, too. But it's like they're, they're running like the, Olave. You can see it just as much. And I've, t- I've talked about this in recent weeks. But he's drawing a target every five snaps. He's playing. He's, he's played like 300 fewer snaps than Garrett Wilson has this year and still is, has about as much yardage. And it's like, you, you see people like saying like Garrett Wilson, offensive rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year should be Chris Olave. It, it shouldn't even be close. He's producing at an insane level. And the only reason he doesn't have way more than 980 yards is because he's going through every game playing 34, 28, 35, 39, 27 snaps. And, and all the guys that he's being compared to are playing like 55, 60. So yep. yeah, Olave has been just unbelievable. And uh, it, anyway, the, the, the problem with that is, is if you're running 50 plays by design, you can't get two scores ahead and no. you're, you're always at the very least going to have the back door cover open, like wide open and maybe even like open net kind of situation. Yeah. We liked Olave rookie of the year at, at plus 1100 coming into the season. Looking good. Wilson has been awesome. Of course. It's just Olave is better. I, 
Yep. Still, still completely agree with that as well, but both can be good folks. It, it, it is possible. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, let's go Brown Steelers. So the Steelers still have a flickering hope uh, at making the postseason. Uh, I'll get into that here in a second. They are two and a half point favorites against the Browns. Browns looked a little bit more lively uh, last week, obviously going up against Washington, Washington, uh, d- Decided to concede ahead of time by by benching Taylor. Yeah, putting in Carson Wentz. That is a dangerous wager, sir. Let's see how it plays out. Riverboat Run saying, "Hit me on 20. But and like, but also with like the same assuredness of like Austin Powers staying on eight. (laughs) Oh man, I forgot about that. That's a that's a great bit too. I also like to live dangerously. yeah that was that was good yeah oh man riverboat ron we love him folks uh anyway who, who, oh, we're talking about the browns or the steelers right yeah um, um well the, the browns have a lot more to work with um i don't know what i'm i'm more than most people likely to overestimate the tomlin factor the tomlin effect so uh i, I don't want to hammer it too much but uh, I I don't want to pick against Mike Tomlin in games like these. You know, if if if, uh, if I'm picking against Mike Tomlin, I want the other team to be reliably scoring a lot of points and kind of like looking right in general. Because if, if you're going in sloppy, if you're figuring things out against the Steelers, it's probably it's it's going to be more difficult than you expect at least. So uh, yeah, Browns have a lot more. If I had to pick a side, I'll pick them because you know Deshaun Watson. It probably will get it going, you know. He could get it going a little bit more each week. Whatever otherwise might be the case, I think he's going to outplay Kenny Pickett here. So I, I don't know how the Steelers would do it. You know, the, the Bra- Browns' run defense is bad. Maybe the Steelers' run for a bunch. But uh, I mean, that, take, that's like, what they did last week, too. You know, like the uh, Jalen Warren and, and Najee Harris ran wild. Uh, on the yeah. Ravens defense. So, I mean, that, that could certainly happen again. And, you know, that, that opened the door for, you know, a little bit more spacing for, for Pickett to work with. And, you know, he took advantage of it. Yeah. So it's just, I guess uh, I'd, I'd stick with the Browns because I can't really imagine both Pickett, Pickett out playing Watson, even, even this lesser form of Watson. I just, I can't, I can't really believe it. And, uh, I'd still take Chubb versus any defense in particular uh, over, you know, Najee Harris, Jalen Warren against the Browns one bad as the Browns run defense is. So I'll go, I'll go the, the Browns, but uh, yeah, the factor having, having, uh, having like a quantifiable way to, to uh, factor in Mike Tomlin and the way he can affect any given game is, is difficult. And it's, it's basically like, he can just kind of win it, you know. It's it's not like it's not like a it's not like a very arithmetically increasing like probability thing. It's just like some days if he's just gonna get you. Yeah, no, I mean he's one of the greats. Um, and again, to to recap the the Steelers playoff chances, so they need to win first of all, and then they need the Dolphins and the Patriots to both lose, both of which fairly feasible. So Dolphins and Patriots, yes. Yeah, the, the, those are both. I like them both to lose. Yeah. So, and all of them will be playing at the same time in that one o'clock window on Sunday. So that that should create some some pretty good intrigue, some good scoreboard watching, uh, and so on. Um, but 
I mean, it would be wild if if the other two conditions are met and then the Browns just spoiled the Steelers' season. It's it's possible. I mean, I I think um, I don't know what I think. There's these rumblings now that like D Podesta has something to do with the play calling and the game planning that the Browns do. So I don't know what that means for Stefanski and, and how much uh, he might have authority wise, culpability wise, but. Uh, it seems like he's not a bad coach, you know, it's like, a, I don't like everything that he does, but uh, I, I, it's not that often where I think like Stefanski just straight up like lost this game for the Browns. So uh, they have a big talent advantage. Uh, I'll take them to win. But uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, if there were actually anything on the line for the Browns, they would, they would have, they would have a lot of reason for concern because the Steelers are definitely dangerous. Yeah. So that, 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 that I have circled it as one of the, one of the best games, uh, especially in that one o'clock window. But I, I think uh, on Sunday overall, let, let's shift on over to the afternoon. Uh, we got Giants, Eagles, uh, Eagles. This feels like a little bit of an overcorrection. I mean, Hertz is supposed to be back. The Eagles have something to play for, but they are about two touchdown favorites at home against the Giants. Would that be because the Giants hold something? Like the Giants don't have anything to gain by winning, I, do they? I think they, they might be locked in. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't know what kind of guy Dable would be as far as... Yeah, the, they are locked the, in. As far as the philosophy of, like, you know, bye weeks before the playoffs or whatever, uh, he could be one of those guys who's like, no, we're going to, you know, we're going to empty yeah. the clip. Uh, but, uh, sorry, that'd be my dog barking here. It's okay. It's a sublime uh, album. Uh, uh, okay. Sorry. Um, somebody must be dropping something off. Anyway, uh, I, I don't know if Gable's going to try to use all their tricks. We know the Eagles are going to use however many tricks they think they need to win. Uh, I'm almost skeptical of the two scores because you could imagine the Eagles, if they, if they feel like they've got the game, they're not going to try to like run up this. They're not going to like keep showing all their best plays to run up the score. So um, maybe the Eagles get a comfortable win, but they stop at 10, 11, you know, uh, it is hard to imagine them losing that part. I, I really can't see. Uh, I don't think they would lose if the giants did try their hardest. And I, I'm kind of, you know, just not sure that they will. Oh no. The, did the internet monster get you, John? Um, Bear with me, folks. Uh, in the past, when this has happened, John has uh, usually messaged me shortly afterward saying, Hey, John, are you there? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, tech- technical difficulties jingle. Just uh, imagine that as necessary. I'm trying to get a hold of John here. Um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I believe John is restarting something or other. He may be reloading the page. Uh, we got a click. Is that, is that you, John? I'm hearing some clicks. Oh, okay. Now it's just me. Uh, yeah, sorry, folks. I'll try to, let's see, what would we have talked about next? Um, Dallas, Washington. Good job, Riverboat Ron, as previously noted. Um, can't track what Dallas has on the line here. Um, I guess they could get 
if the Eagles lose and the 49ers lose, maybe they can get a uh, So, yeah, Dallas is going to show up. Um, Washington will probably show up to when, when – oh, John, is that you? I'm here. Okay, sorry. I was I started blithering about the uh, Washington Dallas game. Apologies, you might have noticed. Um, but yeah, so uh, John, am I right that Dallas could get the first seed if the Eagles lose and the Forty ers lose and Dallas wins? I believe that, that, like that is. is the I believe that scenario. Okay, so they're going to show up. They do have the later. Well, they're playing at the same time, like you said. So uh, yeah, uh, Dallas is going to show up. I kind of like Washington to cover here, and uh, not just because they benched Carson Wentz, but because uh, which is really funny, uh, by the way. Uh, but uh, also because Washington and Dallas maybe have a more bitter rivalry than any two teams in the NFL. And it, it just, especially when they're playing in Washington, I feel like that usually shows up. It's like Washington always pulls Dallas down into the mud and, and just kind of, they love to spoil seasons for them, et cetera, et cetera. So I bet Washington comes out uh, focused despite being, generally ridiculous as a team yeah uh, growing up in the, in the dc area a lot of a lot of washington fans or friends of mine no like they they really do hate dallas uh yeah uh, dallas yeah. usually isn't just just inflicted a lot of pain on them but yeah no that the uh that that rivalry is a real one um and then you know, as far as Sam Howell goes, you know, how do you kind of apply your your prospect analysis of him getting thrown into the mix this late in the season? Yeah, for evaluation purposes, I don't see it. Like that's part of why I don't get it at all. Why they'd be playing him in this game unless they were starting him, which they're not doing, or they they said they're going to start Heineke anyway. Did they back off on that? I, I think it is oh, going to be Howell starting. Off. My bad. Yeah. So, uh, the, yeah, Ron Rivera must have gotten a call from Dan after or whoever's in charge right now, the, the emergency manager, uh, when when they said they were going to start Heineke. Somebody must have said, like, no, we look too stupid. You just benched Heineke. Start the rookie. Uh, so, yeah, how will – I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's better than Heineke. I don't know if that would be right now, though. I, I feel like it's – you know, he is a rookie – uh, he doesn't turn 23 for about a year, it looks like. So Howell is in a difficult spot. Like it's it's you just gotta have like lower expectations for a rookie than than a than a veteran, even if it's an underwhelming veteran like Heineke. Uh, especially when the Dallas pass rush is what it is. It's uh it's easy to imagine this being a difficult spot for the rookie. But I think they're gonna they're gonna limit the offense, first of all. They're gonna run a lot. Uh, we'll see how much they can lean on Brian Robinson in terms of like game script. Like if Dallas gets up two scores, I don't think they're going to keep running on first and second down, but they might, and they're definitely going to do it before then, uh, or at least you know they're going to they're give a lot of their plays are just going to be like Brian Robinson kind of just going nowhere. Uh, so that's also tough on Howell if he's getting like third and eights, third and sevens, things like that. Yeah. Um, Great receivers, I guess. Dallas blows coverages sometimes, so there's there's something there. And, and Howell, correct me if I'm wrong, but he, he did have a pretty good downfield streak, right, at North Carolina. Yeah, I mean him him and Deami Brown, who is on the Washington Commanders, uh, as it were. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that maybe they could rekindle that. But yeah, I mean Howell was really impressive player for three years at North Carolina. You know, starting as, as a true freshman, 
and, you know, looking good. I think he pushed Clemson to the brink, like in his, one of his first couple of games. Uh, obviously that's ancient history now and it doesn't apply cleanly to the NFL or anything, but basically what I'm trying to say is I wouldn't be surprised if, if this isn't like a sterling uh, endorsement of, of how, but I think it's not going to be a train wreck. I think he might actually show some flashes on Sunday. I don't know if it's going to be enough uh, for Washington to win or, or really even stay all that competitive here, but you know, we, we could be looking, you know, next week or into the off season at Washington and then, you know, maybe seriously considering him as, as the starter for next year. Yeah. Uh, he can't be as bad as Wentz. So it's like, we've already, their baseline function most recently was train wreck. I don't think he can make it any worse than that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. He's got, he's got some encouraging things in his profile. Like he said, some concerning ones, like basically his completion percentage was a bit low um, for, for his yards per com- yards per attempt. But uh, he's doing it from a young age, like you said, like as, as a, a redshirt freshman, he, he was putting up big numbers. So uh, he, he almost is kind of a little bit like, what if what if Heineke was just seven years younger, you know? Uh, that's, that's almost what Howell is. So uh, we'll see if he, if he can be a better version of it. It's, it's just a tough spot with a pass rush like that on a team that, uh, you know, they're, ho- hopefully he, he gets like fewer than 30 pass attempts and hopefully they're all like, you know, six yards or less when he has to throw at the downs and distance because otherwise Dallas is going to just kind of tee off on him. Yeah, so that when we can't really expect Washington to have a totally coherent game plan, so that certainly works against him, uh, or an effective one at the very least. But uh, we'll see. Maybe maybe Scary Terry and Dotson can kind of just like help elevate them. They're they're quite good. Yeah, yeah, love watching them play. Um, let's go Broncos Chargers. Uh, Chargers, uh, pretty big favorites here. Uh, or actually, that's a lie. Um, they the Chargers are underdogs on the road against the Broncos. Um, I'm sorry, is that because they are not trying to win or something? I, su- I suppose not, but, uh, you know, if the Ravens are win, they, sure could, the, they could they could move sure to the, the sixth seed. I don't know if we could say the Broncos are conventionally trying to win either. Uh, I mean, they're trying, but it, one could argue uh, maybe they're not. Uh, I don't know. I think uh, – Man, unless Herbert's not playing, is Herbert not playing? <laughs> that's, that's the only that's way. Basically, I what the line seems to suggest here. Man, I don't know. Uh, I have no idea. Some, I, must, I must be missing something. I don't yeah, know there, there's nothing on, on RotoWire to indicate that that Herbert's not playing. I'm perplexed. Uh, so flummoxed yeah, even. I don't, uh, what is that quote? It's like, I don't understand the question and I refuse to answer it or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't like it, whatever it was, the, the line. What, whatever it was, fair. I mean, yeah. so, but what, I mean, how do you look at this game now knowing what, what those, what the spread is? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd still take the chargers. I, I just think that the, the Broncos have a lot of issues, you know, I mean, it's a, uh, it was good, of course, to see them let Albert Equigwinem play the game. That was yeah. Uh, I know people like he dropped two short passes. It's like it, part of the problem with Equigwinem and getting him a fair shot with the Broncos is that uh, he's not even best used underneath. Like he's he's one of your fastest players, and what do you do with speed? You you have it run down the field, and 
I, I, you see some people like, oh, he's wide open on his touchdown catch. Like, yes, that's what happens when you're bigger and faster than everyone and you're running down the seam and they can't keep up with you. You get wide open and then you make it look, quote unquote, easy. And it's like just because Greg Dulcich can't lose anyone in a race doesn't mean he's making a better play. It's like, oh, look at how m- he had to get he had to catch it over three guys. That's so cool. Like, I get I, I get that that's cool. It's a good play. But it's not a situation you want to be in. It's not the, the scenario you want to arrange. You want the scenario where your guy's wide open down the seam. So uh, particularly when Russell Wilson was always so dependent on that throw. I mean, that, that was why I said at the start of the year, like, and I wasn't kidding about it. Like, the less they use Equagbenum, the worse Russell Wilson's season is going to go. Because I know he's not Tyler Lockett, but he's the closest thing they have to Tyler Lockett in that he's the only option they have to create that moonshot down the seam. And it's you, you need it to be downfield. You need it to be fast. And he needed to be a, a good tracker down the seam because Russell Wilson can't see over the middle of the field in the short and the intermediate. He can't see it. Albert Equigbenum is six foot five, almost two sixty. He's going to see him sooner than he sees uh, Greg Dulcich at six four, two thirty eight, or whatever. And he's also going to see him sooner because he's probably like ten yards further downfield in the same amount of time because he runs more than two tenths of a second faster than the forty. So. To get Russell Wilson that moonshot at all, it was just Okwagbunum and it was Hamler. Those were the only two options that could get to that depth that fast uh, before the pass rush gets to Wilson. So that's why Wilson's back there standing around just checking down all year. Like, he's, he's bad, basically, and he's, it's still the worst trade of all time. But they did make things harder on Wilson by not giving him that moonshot, that moonball over the seam. And, and Okwagbunum can definitely be that. So... Uh, if they keep going to that and they, you know, they get the play action set up, particularly you can't really defend Uquagwinum down the seam. If you're respecting the play action, he's too fast. He's faster than you, even though he's like 40 pounds heavier than you. Yeah. So uh, let's see, let's see some more Alberto. I'll be, I'll be buying in next year. Yeah. And he had the, the sorry, the, one other thing about the drops complaints, like we already saw him catch really high percentages of his targets the last two years. And people complained about the drops even then it's like, do you understand people don't have any perspective on this, this drops thing. Their criticism with Okwagwinam and dropping passes is very specifically that he's not catching 95% of his targets. Like the drops are the only reason he's not catching like 90 plus percent of his targets, which means he's still, even with the drops unambiguously productive. So it's like, if, if he's, if he's dropping those passes and the numbers aren't piling up, that's fine. But when his catch rate is already pushing 80, let him drop a few passes. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Like you're you're getting greedy, uh, basically at that point. Um, so yeah, that uh, what a what a waste of a of a season that, that could have been pretty sick uh, as it turns out for, from him and perhaps like you alluded to might have uh, changed the Broncos' fortunes a little bit. Maybe had them not be oh, so. They lost. Uh, they lost three games specifically because they gave like downfield routes to Eric Saubert, who dropped that one touchdown. The downfield route to Beck, who was too slow to get underneath it. Dulcich missed one because he was too slow. So yeah, it literally got Hackett fired. <laughs> Unreal. Just because he doesn't like Anchor. <laughs> um. Uh. Let's go. Uh, we got cards. Niners. Ugh. Niners fourteen point favorites I'll take the at, Niners, at home. John. Yeah, I, I I'll take the Niners uh, with with their third string quarterback who is uh, Mister Irrelevant. I'll do that. He's he's the uh, he's the prince that was promised. Yeah. Skylar Thompson could never. Um, but yeah. Oh my I'm god, not... they did. They took Skylar Thompson over him, didn't they? Oh wow, <laughs> that is that is egregious. Wow, I didn't even put that together. 
it's egregious that I didn't put it together till now, and it's egregious that they made that pick. That is insane. Wow. Yeah. Whoopsie diddles. Wow. Um, not 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 great. Um, but uh, regardless, uh, yeah, that this you know the Cardinals scrappy last week in Atlanta almost got the win um, d- despite having to go with David Blau. Blau, I think, is going to be starting again this week. Is there any? hopes whatsoever when, when it comes to the Cardinals keeping this one moderately competitive. Hmm. No. Okay. I agree. Uh, so <laughs> that'll be that. Um, and I, I don't know if DeAndre Hopkins is going to be playing either. So that makes it all the more tricky for, for those Arizona Cardinals. Let's go Rams Seahawks. Uh, we got the Seahawks six and a half. Point favorites at home. Played a close game. First time in Los Angeles, uh, pre-Baker Mayfield. Now the, the Seahawks obviously have something to play for. In this instance, they're, they are in the playoff hunt still. They need a little bit of help, of course. But, um, you know, what, what are your thoughts here? Uh, disappointed in uh, my, my Rams. Uh, not making any contest of it with the Chargers. I, I guess it's like, those those big Eckler plays were fluky, uh, and once they happened, it was just a wrap at that point. But uh, it really got out of hand in a way that the, the Chargers never – the Chargers don't get big leads on anybody, you know? It's, it was a weird time. And if they for, do, they the, give them back. Yeah, weird time for, for the Rams to completely fall apart. But uh, they don't have any talent, so it, it would have required, like, overachievement. It's just it, Chargers underachieve, and uh, in that game, I think even the Rams did. So – they're probably going to bounce back um, to some measure and it's, it's going to be the the Seahawks problem to deal with it. So uh, I'm not like, uh, I'm a tiny bit worried for the Seahawks to win the game at all. I I, I think they'll win it, but uh, I'm definitely worried about the six and a half points because the the Seahawks don't really play a game that gets big leads either. And uh, if, if both teams are content to run the ball a bunch, the clock has a way of getting away from you and you find yourself, you know, it's like, it's a one score game and there's, you know, six minutes left kind of thing. Um, and maybe they hold, maybe they hold it and they keep, you know, the, the six, seven, or the seven, as it were point uh, lead, but they could also, you know, give it up pretty easily either for field goal, onside kick attempt, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't really like the Seahawks to cover and, and they, sh- they, you know, they need to take the game seriously, even though the Rams are, are in a really bad spot. Yeah, I'm I'm on the Rams to to cover this one as well, um, but yeah, I, th- I think you know again the hedge uh, like Seattle going by Rams uh, to cover, and let's get to the last game here as we wrap up the regular season. We've got the Lions going to Lambeau face the Packers. Packers can punch their ticket. Uh, this is obviously a huge game. That's why they they moved it to the Sunday nighter. Uh, how do we see this one shaking out? We're, right now, we're seeing the the Packers as four and a half point favorites. Yeah, uh, this is a tough one for me because I still don't trust Jared Goff outdoors and in the cold. But uh, he did have that game against the Panthers, which was a first. Maybe maybe that just means I should say, like, well, now he's that much more certain to revert to type. But uh, it might be that he's got so much help that even he can, can stay somewhat composed uh, in a Lambo game at this time of the year. 
It does seem like a lot, though. Uh, that seems like expecting a lot. You'd think that if the Lions made a real game out of this, they'd have to do a lot on the ground, maybe on defense, too. That part's tough for me to think through. I don't this this Detroit pass rush, I guess, is getting kind of lively, but they're uh, I don't know. I, there's something I don't trust about it. And yet all the same, I don't trust the Packers offense either. Like they they didn't necessarily like if they needed to step up last week to beat the Vikings, we don't know that they would have like the Vikings just got wrecked in the first like 10 minutes on special teams yeah, and defense. That was it. So that's you know good for the Packers or whatever, but they're not going to be able to bank on those kinds of uh, Nixon aside. Apparently Nixon's going to return minimum uh, like 60 yards every single kickoff now. But uh, aside from him, they can't really bank on the defense, especially stepping up like that. It, it's just uh, they need Rodgers to actually finally lead a good offense. And Rodgers is still being an idiot. Like he's he's doing his, his just like uh, ornery, you know, diva crap where it's like he's he got mad at Dobbs for dropping a pass two weeks ago or something. So when Dobbs is getting open last week, he's just not throwing to him. They're trying to get Christian Watson going again. And uh, I get why. Uh, but. They, they're basically getting greedy if they try to make like a target hog out of him. It's like, you got to take selective shots with a guy like that. Uh, mm-hmm. If you try to just go to him every play, the defense is going to start jamming the hell out of him. Um, and and Rodgers, if he's passing up the few open looks that he gets, he, you know, that, that, that's hubris. You got to, you got to take that look and, and just kind of um, understand that the guy you're throwing to is also a professional. And, and just cause he dropped it last time, doesn't mean you, you, you shouldn't throw it to him when he's open uh, Rogers struggles with things like that. And if, if the margin of error isn't as big as he thinks there could be a higher cost than he thinks. So uh, the other thing is I can't tell if how much people are looking at this Detroit line and thinking, Oh, well they don't have anything to play for. So they're going to hold back. I would not believe that for a second. Like I, yeah. I think Dan, I think Dan Campbell wants this scout about as much as yes. he wants a playoff spot at all. So uh, I think, yeah, I think, I think, I think Detroit goes, as hard as they can here. Yeah. So the lions as it stands have a a 10 and a half percent chance of making the postseason. So they're going to need to not only win outright, um, but they're going to need some, some chaos, you know, in the, in the form of the the Seahawks. Wait, they know before the game. Yeah. So they would know before the game, whether they're out and they're they're probably going to know that they're out, but yeah, even if they are, there's, there's like no way Detroit that might make them go that much more kamikaze about it somehow. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think that, that that honestly might be why the NFL picked this game to be the Sunday night game. Yeah, if they're if they're mad that they didn't make the playoffs, that's a, the Packers should not be like, oh, good. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's not that's not a helpful thing. It's like that makes us mad actually, and we are going to take it to you, and we're going to get the season sweep on y'all. Yeah, we could we could finally relax, guys. The Lions can't make the playoffs. Let's uh, let's celebrate this one early. <laughs> Bad, bad idea. You got to come correct against. I do Dan think Campbell's they'll win, boys. but yeah, it's it's dangerous. Yeah, four and a half points. Give me the Lions. Give me the Lions. Uh, Camels boys. I hope the Lions win. That'd I, be, I won't lie. It'd be wild. Um, Campbell, twenty twenty three. I'm all twenty twenty four, as it were. I guess I'm all in. Um, but I think that that is going to wrap it up for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast that puts a bow. On the regular season, we'll be back. We'll be running this through all the all the postseason and this particular podcast. We go all year, so this is nothing new to us. Uh, we'll, we'll be carrying you through the combine, pro days, the draft, 
offseason, best ball, draft recap, all that good stuff. So, you know, stick with us here. We, we, we're we going to be cranking out good content in the offseason and, of course, all throughout the postseason as well. But for Mario Puig, I'm John McCackney. Thanks for listening to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, again, presented by our friends over at No House Advantage. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.